0: The headlines tonight, Marcos and Imelda kicked out by power of the people, Lord Paulet's Hawaiian holiday turns into five-month stay, and Hiram Rhodes Revels breaks the race ceiling in Congress. Plus, coming up, a special report on the controversial new diet craze, eating your own words, high in fiber. Low in substance. Those are the headlines. Stay tuned or you'll miss the madness.
1: News bang! Unraveling the knot of untruths one thread at a time. 13 1986.
0: Prominent Filipino dictator Ferdinand Marcos has been removed from power by a force greater than he could ever have imagined. People power. The non-violent revolution, which cost an estimated $4.99, plus postage and packaging, saw the corrupt ruler of the Philippines fall to a barrage of politely worded letters and strongly worded carrier pigeons.
2: Marcos, whose regime was marred by allegations of corruption and not bothering to call his mother on Mother's Day, fled Manila in his homemade diamond helicopter with wife Imelda, the real brains behind every despotic decision since 1632 BCE. Said one eyewitness, it was like they'd seen a free Versace sample sale without a cue.
0: In their place stepped Corazon Aquino, who shared her housewife persona to don reggae beats and miraculously become president. A fairy tale ending for democracy as bland as rice pudding or porridge, if you prefer. And so began the age of Aquino, a new era for the South China Sea. Yep,
1: Ediceton, 1843. In 1843,
2: Lord George Paulette was sent by the Royal Navy on a routine commando mission to Hawaii, or, as it was then known, Hey! A tropical paradise full of cheery natives and grass skirts. His orders were clear. Find a nice beach, drink pina coladas and chip in with the chores. However, in what can only be described as an overreaction, he decided, without consulting Whitehall, mind you, to nick the joint.
0: Using non tactics such as intimidation and hand signals no one could understand due to his accent, Paulette managed to take control of the island for five whole weeks before anyone back home noticed. Cue an international incident of coconut-sized proportions.
2: Enter stage left. America. Land of the free. Armed to their eagles with democracy. Sending some warships which they just happened to have lying around, they sailed into Hay Harbour with all guns blazing which is impressive when you realise how long it took them to load back then. Rescued Her Highness Queen Lollipopsalot from those dastardly Brits. I mean British forces. Normality resumed faster than a hula girl's hips.
0: 1870 On this day in 1870, America shook on its eagle-like foundations as a bold new step into the future took place. In a move that would change the whitewash of politics forever, Hiram Rhodes revels part man, part quilt, became the first African-American to serve as senator in Mississippi.
2: It was no easy feat for Hiram. He faced fierce opposition from leaders like Slavery Zachary and KKK Washington. Born free anywhere but here, he overcame incredible bigotry and even got elected by pulling his impressions of Honest Abe out at Klan parties.
0: Hiram paved the way for other black men not to be underrepresented on Capitol Hill. 12 in total have now served in Congress. They've even let women in now.
1: News Bang A wake up call for the willfully blind.
0: Our weatherman, Shakanaka Giles, now brings us the weather report. Prepare for a day of contrasts as he unravels the meteorological mysteries awaiting us across the country. <music>
3: Starting in the southeast, where it'll be a bit like a damp dishcloth tomorrow morning. But by afternoon, the sun should come out, as if Mother Nature's decided to hang her laundry out to dry. Over to the Midlands, where it'll be a bit nippy, like a cheeky nip from a bottle of brandy. But don't worry, it'll warm up by midday, just in time for the annual Pancake Day races. Up in the the north, expect a bit of a a blustery day, like a gaggle of geese having a squabble. But fear not, it'll clear up by evening, just in time for the last day of the Northern Lights Festival. And finally, in Scotland, it'll be a bit of a mixed bag, like a bag of pick-and-mix sweets. Expect a bit of rain, a bit of sun, and a bit of wind, like a game of weather roulette. In summary, then, a bit of a, a wood of a damp start, a cheeky nip, a blustery squabble, and a game of weather roulette. And that's all the weather.
1: 13 1986.
0: And now, a blast from the past. In 1986 Ferdinand Marcos, the corrupt and brutal Filipino dictator, was deposed by the remarkably non-violent People Power Revolution. His wife, Imelda, was also a political force to be reckoned with. The revolution paved the way for Corazon Aquino to assume the presidency and restore democracy to the Philippines. For more on this fascinating chapter in history, we turn to our correspondent, Brian Bastable.
4: The night sky is alive with the red glow of rocket fire, and as I stare out into the horizon my eye is caught by a movement in the distance. It's a man, a man on a mission, a man on a tank, he's heading straight for me, and as he draws closer I can see that it's none other than Ferdinand Marcos himself. But this is no ordinary tank. This is a tank of power, a tank of corruption, a tank of brutality. And as he steps out his wife Imelda at his side, I can see that he's not alone. Behind him a horde of loyal followers, armed to the teeth and ready to fight to the death. But as I stand here face to face with the man himself, I can't help but feel a sense of unease. For this is not the man I expected to see. This is not the man who ruled with an iron fist. This is not the man who was ousted by the people power revolution. This is not the man who was forced into exile. No, this is a man who has been reborn. A man who has been given a second chance. A man who has been given the opportunity to make amends. And as I stare into his eyes, I can see that he knows it too. He knows that he has been given a chance to right the wrongs of the past. He knows that he has been given a chance to make a difference. And as he raises his hand, I can see that he is ready to take that chance. He is ready to make a change. He is ready to lead his people to a brighter future. But as I stand here, my heart filled with hope, I can't help but wonder, will he succeed? Will he be able to overcome the demons of his past? Will he be able to make a difference? Only time will tell, but for now I stand here in the heart of the revolution, ready to report on the events as they unfold. Brian Bastable, Newsbang, reporting live from the front lines of the People Power Revolution.
1: It's a KTT. 2020.
4: Gui Minhai,
0: a Hong Kong-based writer and publisher, was sentenced to 10 years in prison for intelligence violations. Minhai, who authored around 200 books under the pen name Ah Hai, is one of three shareholders of Causeway Bay Books in Hong Kong. The Chinese Communist Party, the ruling party of China with over 98 million members, has been criticized for its handling of the case. Now, to discuss the implications of this sentencing, we're joined by our correspondent Ken Shit.
5: Holy shit, folks. We're living in a world where freedom of speech is as dead as a doornail. And who's to blame for this heinous crime against humanity? None other than the Chinese Communist Party. That's who. You see, they've got this guy Gui Minhai, who's a Hong Kong-based writer and publisher. He's got a knack for writing about Chinese Communist Party politicians, and he's got a pen name, Ah Hai. Ah Hai, if you ask me, is a total badass. But the CCP doesn't see it that way. They've sentenced this guy to 10 years in prison for intelligence violations. What the hell does that even mean? Is it a crime to write the truth? Is it a crime to expose corruption? Well, if it is, then the CCP is the most corrupt organization on the planet. Guimin Hai has written around 200 books And he's one of three shareholders of Causeway Bay Books in Hong Kong But the CCP doesn't give a damn about that They want to silence him and they'll do whatever it takes to make that happen This is a blatant attack on freedom of speech, folks And it's happening right under our noses We can't let this stand We need to fight back against the Chinese Communist Party and their oppressive regime This is Ken Shit Signing off from Newsbank, and I'm here to tell you that we won't stand for this kind of bullshit. We'll keep fighting for the truth, no matter how hard it gets. So let's stand together, folks, and let our voices be heard. Let's show the Chinese Communist Party that we won't be silenced.
1: 1870 In a remarkable milestone for
0: the United States Congress, Hiram Rhodes Revels became the first African American to serve as a senator from Mississippi during the Reconstruction era. Serving in the bicameral Congress, which comprises the Senate and the House of Representatives, Revels was one of 12 African-Americans to grace the Senate with his presence. The Senate, with its exclusive powers such as confirming presidential appointments and ratifying treaties, witnessed a significant shift in its composition. And now, to delve deeper into this historical moment,
6: we turn to our reporter, Hardeman Pesto. Martin, I'm here in Washington, D.C in 1870, where Hiram Rhodes Revels has just been elected as the first African-American senator. This is truly a historic moment. Yes, Pesto, a great milestone indeed. Can you tell us more about Mr. Revels? Well, Martin, I spoke exclusively to the great man himself. He told me he was born free in North Carolina in 1827. He later became a minister in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, and helped organize two black regiments during the Civil War. Fascinating stuff. And how was he able to get elected to the Senate? That's an excellent question, Martin. You see, the 15th Amendment was ratified last month, guaranteeing the right to vote regardless of race or previous condition of servitude. This paved the way for Mr. Revels to be elected. I see. And who exactly elected him? The fine people of Mississippi? Ah, yes, of course. He was elected by the Mississippi State Legislature, as you know, Martin, senators weren't directly elected by voters until 1913. Quite right, Pesto. And when does Mr. Revels officially take office? He will be sworn in tomorrow, February 25th, 1870. I will be there to cover it live for Newsbang. It promises to be a momentous occasion. No doubt, no doubt. And will Mr. Revels be the only African-American serving in Congress? For now, yes. But he paves the way for more in the future. In fact, there have already been eight African-American members of the House of Representatives. Groundbreaking stuff. And how long will Mr. Revel's term be? The normal six years for a senator? Er, good question, Martin. You see, he is filling a vacant seat, so he will only be serving out the remainder of that term, which ends March 4, 1871. Barely a year, then. The people of Mississippi clearly wanted him out as quick as possible. No matter, he has already made history. Back to you,
0: Martin. Yes, a real milestone, as you say, pesto. Let's hope we see more diversity in the hallowed halls of Congress going forward.
1: Newsbang, poking holes in the balloon of lies.
0: 1951, the year men were men, and sports less commercialised. The inaugural Pan-American Games in Buenos Aires, delayed by World War II, brought athletes from across the Americas together in a spectacle of summer sportsmanship. Ryder Boff reports.
7: Ah, the year is 1951, a time when men were men, and sports were well slightly less commercialized. Buenos Aires, the beating heart of Argentina, an alpha global city with more flair than a peacock at a disco, played host to the inaugural Pan-American Games. Postponed due to that pesky scuffle known as World War II, these games burst onto the scene like a cork from a champagne bottle. And there they are, athletes from across the Americas descending upon Buenos Aires like locusts in Lycra, the stadiums packed tighter than my Aunt Mabel's corset on Christmas dinner. Look at them go, sprinters sprinting, jumpers jumping, it's all happening here. The Pan American Sports Organisation took the reins of this grand event, corralling countries together for a spectacular show of summer sportsmanship every four years before the Summer Olympic Games. like clockwork, but with more sweat and fewer gears. I remember 51 like it was yesterday. I had just turned negative two and was busy not existing yet. But tales of those games swirled around family dinners like gravy, round roast potatoes... Uncle Reginald claimed he could have made the British team if it weren't for his chronic case of athlete's foot, which ironically prevented him from becoming an athlete. Athletes congregated in Buenos Aires with dreams bigger than their suitcases and muscles so defined you could use them as geography lessons. The city buzzed with excitement, streets alive with samba beats and tango feet moving faster than gossip in a small town. There's Jorge Jumpin' Bean Jimenez taking flight in a long jump. He's up, he's soaring. By Jove, he might just land in Uruguay. The games themselves? A smorgasbord of sporting prowess, swimming events where competitors sliced through water like hot knives through butter, boxing matches where left hooks were doled out like Sunday newspapers, and gymnastics displays that defied gravity and most health insurance policies. But let us not forget about those unsung heroes. The table tennis players pinging and ponging under intense scrutiny, each serve loaded with more spin than a politician's promise. It was during these very games that I learned an important lesson. Never bet your moustache on a wrestling match between two equally hairy contenders named El Toro Loco Lopez and the hirsute Hurricane Hernandez. It leads to public embarrassment and an awkward phase involving drawn-on-facial hair. So let us raise our glasses, of appropriately non-alcoholic beverages, to 1951, a vintage year for sport indeed. And remember folks, while history may be written by the victors, it's narrated by yours truly. Tata.
0: Polly Beep takes us on a nautical journey to 1933, where aircraft carriers dominate the high seas, and tensions simmer. Brace yourself, for a turbulent voyage as the world's most potent naval force flaunts its might.
8: We're diving headfirst into the depths of history, all the way back to 1933. It's a veritable traffic jam of aircraft carriers, and the USS Ranger is leading the charge. She's the first purpose-built aircraft carrier of the United States Navy, and she's not pulling any punches. No island superstructure, but she's still a sight to behold. watch out for delays on the high seas as the US Navy is flexing its maritime muscles. The largest and most powerful Navy in the world, it's showing off its impressive tonnage and aircraft carriers. Aircraft carriers are the new kings of the ocean, having dethroned the battleship as the flagship of modern combat fleets. Meanwhile, we've got a convoy of wooden vessels making their way to the scrap heap. They're being replaced by nuclear-powered warships carrying various types of aircraft. It's a turbulent time for seafarers, as the winds of change are blowing strong. But it's not all smooth sailing. There's a diplomatic standoff brewing in international waters, as aircraft carriers assert their autonomy and mobility. The ability to operate without territorial sovereignty issues is causing quite the stir. Expect delays and detours as the situation unfolds. In other news, a flotilla of seagoing airbases is projecting air power worldwide, bypassing the need for local bases. It's a game-changer for global air traffic, and it's causing quite the commotion. So buckle up, folks. It's going to be a bumpy ride. This is Polly Beep, signing off from the choppy waters of 1933. Keep your eyes on the horizon and your rudders steady. Over and out.
1: 1866.
0: Next up, our science correspondent, Calamity Prenderville. With a journey back to 1866, when British ingenuity met Calaveras County, California, in a curious tale of a certain human skull... (laughs)
9: Good evening, Newsbang viewers. It's time for a blast from the past. Let's journey back to 1866, when British ingenuity struck again, this time in Calaveras County, California. Miners discovered a human skull, a find that would later be exposed as a hoax. But let's not dwell on the deception. Instead, let's marvel at the sheer audacity of this prank. A testament to British humour...
0: The skull was used as evidence of human existence during the Pliocene Epoch, a geological period that lasted from 5.333 to 2.58 million years ago. But here's where things get interesting. Humans, mastodons and mammoths actually coexisted much more recently. Imagine that, a real-life Jurassic Park scenario right here in Britain.
9: The county where the skull was found, Calaveras, is named after the Spanish word for skulls, It's as if the county was destined for this moment, a cosmic convergence of skulls and British innovation. The skull was a clever ruse, a prank that fooled many. But it's a reminder that sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. And in this case, it's also a lot funnier. So here's to the British sense of humour, the miners of Calaveras County and the human skull that started it all. This is Calamity Prenderville, signing off from Newsbang. (laughs)
1: News Bang, the last word on the first word of the last word. Sandy
0: O'Shaughnessy, our royal correspondent, delves into a series of historical royal events, adding his signature humour to tales of Hawaiian occupation, family feuds and imperial succession.
10: Ah, and a hearty good evening to you all. It's your old friend Sandy O'Shaughnessy here, stepping in to bring you a wee bit of historical hilarity and royal ridiculousness. So sit back, relax, and let's take a trip through the annals of time, where the absurd meets the regal and the laughter never ends. Huh? <laughs> now let's travel back to the year 1843. Picture this. Lord George Paulet, a Royal Navy captain, decided to go rogue and occupy the Hawaiian Islands for five whole months, I mean, who among us hasn't had the urge to just up and take over a tropical paradise? But alas, it seems the British government didn't quite see the humor in it. Ah.
3: <laughs>
10: I can just imagine the conversation. George, old chap, you've gone and done it now. You've occupied Hawaii without so much as a by your leave. We're going to have to send in the American warships to sort this mess out. Ah. <laughs> And speaking of messes, let's hop over to the year 628. the II, the last great king of the Sasanian Empire, was having a bit of a family feud. His son, Kavad II, decided it was high time for a change in management and overthrew his dear old dad. I suppose it's a bit like when your own offspring decide they'd rather have pizza for dinner instead of your lovingly prepared shepherd's pie. But, you know, with a bit more treachery and a lot less cheese. Ah. (laughs) And finally, let's skip back to the year 138, Hadrian, the Roman Emperor, was having a bit of a rough time in the family department. His first adopted son, Lucius Aelius, passed away before he could take the throne. So, Hadrian did what any good emperor would do. He adopted another son, Antoninus Pius, and made him his successor. (laughs) It's a bit like when you've got a favorite pair of slippers and one wears out, so you just go and get another pair except, you know, with a bit more power and a lot less fleece. Ah. <laughs> ah, history, you old scamp, always full of surprises and more than a few laughs. And speaking of laughs, I received a delightful letter from Mrs. O'Malley in Kilkenny. She writes, Dear Sandy, my husband has taken to wearing a toga around the house. He says it's to get in touch with his inner Roman. Any advice? Well, Mrs. O'Malley. I'd say embrace it. After all, who wouldn't want a bit of ancient Rome in their living room?
3: Ah. <laughs>
10: so there you have it, folks. Another trip through the royal ridiculousness of history. But alas, all good things must come to an end. So until next time, keep those letters coming and remember, see you later, alligator, in a while, crocodile. This is Sandy O'Shaughnessy signing off.
1: He to die, 1705. And now, a musical
0: moment in history. In 1705, George Friedrich Handel's opera Nero premiered in Hamburg, showcasing the prowess of this German-British Baroque composer. Handel, who later settled in London, composed masterpieces that elevated English church music and birthed new genres. While in Hamburg, he crafted four operas, leaving behind Almira as the sole survivor. Today, Hamburg the vibrant heart of Germany, boasts a population of over 1.9 million. For more on Handel's life and legacy, let's turn to our culture correspondent, Smithsonian Moss.
10: Now at this point of the evening, we welcome listeners on FM who've just joined us.
11: Wah-ho, culture vultures. It's your main squeeze, Smithsonian Moss, slicing through the airwaves like a hot knife through butter. Tonight, we're time-traveling back to 1705, where wigs were big, and the opera was even bigger. That's right. We're talking about the premiere of George Friedrich Handel's Opera Nero in Hamburg, the city that's like Berlin's cooler, less try-hard sibling. Now, Handel, this dude was the rock star of the Baroque era throwing down harpsichord riffs like Hendricks did with his guitar, except with less fire and more powdered wigs. He was the OG of the opera scene before he packed his bags and moved to London to spice up the English music scene with a little German sauerkraut. So, picture this. It's 1705, and Handel's Nero is all the rage. The opera house in Hamburg is packed tighter than a can of German sausages. The crowd is buzzing, the candles are lit, And the stage is set for a night of high notes and even higher drama. But let's be real, most people probably couldn't understand a word of the Italian libretto. But who cares when you've got a spectacle like this? And get this. Out of the four operas Handel composed in Hamburg, only Elmira survived, like the lone cockroach after a nuclear blast. The others? Lost to the sands of time, probably used to wrap fish or line the bottom of a birdcage, classic. Handel's music was like the peak of the high baroque style, which is basically the musical equivalent of climbing Mount Everest in a ball gown. He influenced English church music so much that even today, you can't swing a thurible without hitting a tune that Handel touched. So, there you have it, folks. Handel's Nero, A Night to Remember, Even If No One Can Actually Remember It. It's like the Woodstock of the 1700s, but with less mud and more class. And Hamburg, you keep doing you, you beautiful, opera loving beast. That's all from me, Smithsonian Moss, your cultural compass in this mixed up, muddled up, shook up world. Until next time, keep your wigs powdered and your opera glasses polished.
1: News bang. Cutting through the crap with a sharp, shiny blade of truth.
0: And now, the final roundup of tomorrow's front pages. The Times Yankee Doodle Dandy Diplomacy, Philharmonic Plays Pyongyang The Guardian Hitler Flouts Treaty with Luftwaffe Liftoff And the Independent Napoleon's Elba Escape Emperor Bids Island Arrivederci That's it for tonight. On the day that a group of mimes were arrested for not speaking during an interrogation, we bid you a silent but dramatic farewell. Good night.
1: Tune in next time for more artificially intelligent hilarity. Newsbang is a comedy show written and recorded by AI. All voices impersonated. Nothing here is real. Good night.